0: Welcome to FMH Insurecast, a podcast created by Farmers Mutual Hale, designed to deliver expertise and insights from trusted FMH team members and industry experts. Each new episode will dive into new products, industry updates and innovative solutions. Let's get to today's topic.
1: Well, hello and welcome back to the FMH Insurecast. Today, our topic is 2022 crop insurance considerations and today i have joining me chalk hefner
2: chalk has been on the show before chalk say hello to everybody hello again Uh, i'm chalk hefner i'm a strategic account manager down in kansas Uh, i'm I'm really glad to be back on the show with you again ryan looking forward to uh, today's topic perfect and as
1: chalk mentioned my name is ryan bennis i am also a strategic account manager And uh, today we're talking a little bit about our crop insurance considerations for next year. And so we're going to go through a few updates and maybe some strategies when you're making that decision this year. So Chuck, we've got some themes going into 2022. I would say maybe the hotter topic at the current moment is how high our input costs are and how much it's costing us to, to grow a crop in 2022, particularly with corn and the costs associated with fertilizer nitrogen there but also we have our highest spring prices and i just had to change this on here was 2012 it's it's really our highest spring prices for crop insurance since 2011 in 2011 we had 601 on corn and i believe 1345 on beans we're actually above that on beans today
2: we are we are yeah, things are things have really changed for us over the last couple of years. And uh, these these high prices, we've seen them before, um, but that was also a different situation back in 2011, 2012, when we saw these prices, it was due to a nationwide drought. Um, and so we're, we're in a little different ballpark here than what we had been in the past. But uh, these high prices and, and high input costs uh, can be a little unnerving, Ryan. Right? Yeah, absolutely. And... When it comes to the input
1: costs, um, what that really means for us as uh, insurance agents and farmers is it means that our risks to cover are higher than they have been in a very long time. And it is probably the highest input costs that we've ever faced before. Um, And so that means that that input cost number per acre is as high as it's ever been, which means that we have to be very conscious that our risks of losing money on a per acre basis are also then as high as they've ever been. The good news is though, as we mentioned, that our spring prices are coming in pretty high right now. Chalk, correct me if I'm wrong here, but we sit here on the 31st of January as we're recording this. And I last checked, I saw December corn was at 575, and I saw November beans a little north of 1360 those are some great numbers right there.
2: They really are. They really are. And, and the reason why we're looking at these corn and November beans is uh, because that's what our, what we utilize to set our crop insurance prices uh, going into the month of February here. So starting tomorrow, we'll utilize December corn, November beans to uh, see where our prices fall for our crop insurance guarantees. Uh, and so that'll start off and, and kick off tomorrow. Great info. And, I know a hot topic that comes up too with this is
1: volatility because volatility can drive our premiums and it certainly does. Unfortunately, we can guess at volatility uh, over the next several weeks, but frankly, we only record volatility in the last five days of the month. Um, So if you're familiar with those figures though, I will say today, we're tracking at 0.21 on corn and around 0.19 on soybeans. But those numbers are definitely liable to change before we get to the last five days
2: of February. That's right. And that volatility is a pretty important number for us in the crop insurance world as far as going and setting premium dollars. Uh, So the higher the volatility, the more volatile the market is, obviously, uh, means that the more premium it's going to cost to purchase your revenue protection policy. Uh, So when we get into quoting and different things like that that volatility factor really makes a difference on on where premium dollars are going to come in at yep absolutely and that that volatility
1: factor is basically measuring the implied variability of the market over the next eight months and we could probably just stop right there with volatility before we go into the the greeks the the gammas the omegas and stuff i don't even know about but (laughs) (laughs) um but let's swing back to the, the themes of the year here and just mention that input costs again are as high as they ever have been. And so what we really wanna look for when we're, when we're purchasing our, our crop insurance package is wanna make sure that we have enough revenue to cover the risks that we face. And so let's just dive in real quick to some of the top risks that we face each year and make sure that we have something that's covering us for these types of uh, vulnerabilities. So I'll start us off here, chalk, and just say, as we've been talking here, we have very high prices, which are uh, a positive right now, but we have some downside risk. We're vulnerable to significant price drops, especially when we're starting this high. And so our very first risk is price risk. Uh, We have risk of prices going down, certainly. We even at this point have risk of prices going up. So at this point, if we have already sold some grain, or we're, we're making some future bets against or hedges against what the grain price is going to do, uh, that price could still go to $7 corn, right? But um, that's our number one risk right now, as we see it, is that our, our prices could go up or more, um, more scary going
2: down. Another risk out there, Ryan, is, is the drought. Uh, western Corn Belt, we're, we're still pretty dry down here in western Kansas, Nebraska, this area. Uh, that that I cover a lot of, we've been really dry, uh, to be honest with you, and uh, looking forward to getting out of that maybe. Um, we did get some snow here last week and in, in some certain parts uh, and some large amounts of snow even. Uh, so hopefully that'll help us get through this drought. But that drought creeping in uh, can be a big, big risk for us as well. Of course, that's going to be a, an area issue. Uh, and, and the bigger area that a drought covers, the more that that will affect uh, the, the market as a whole. Great. So price risk, drought, or I would say too little rain,
1: the third one would be too much rain, uh, excessive moisture, which I would think for a majority of our corn belt right now, um, especially on the Western side, seems like something that <laughs> would be welcomed to have excessive yeah. moisture at this point. But things can change quickly. And 2019 didn't happen that long ago where we had I don't even know the number anymore but 15 million prevent plant acres somewhere in that range. And, um, and that was all rains that started in March, February, March, and
2: just didn't, didn't stop. So
1: that is our third risk. chalk anymore?
2: Yeah, and, and one that's always out there are, are the smaller spot losses. Uh, so your hailstorms, your wind storms, disease, tornadoes. Uh, you know, we're seeing a lot of that happen, and in, in a lot of it happening in places that we wouldn't typically think that that was going to be be the case. So, um, you know, tornadoes in Kentucky here recently. Kentucky's had more tornadoes than Kansas has uh, in the last year or so. So, uh, you know, it seems like weather patterns are changing, uh, and uh, things are things are happening differently in different parts of the the Midwest here. Yeah, excellent.
1: So, there's more risks than we just mentioned right there but those are by far our top ones so the great thing about revenue protection crop insurance is that it covers all of these perils you've probably heard the term before mpci or multi-peril well mpci is multi-peril crop insurance and multi-peril of course means it's covering you for all of these things Um, and so that's where we usually start with our crop insurance um, packages And uh, sometimes that's where we finish too. And the good news is that the prices are still high enough that we can lock in coverage, even at or above our input costs as high as they are, because those spring prices are high too, we can lock in guarantees above those numbers. Chuck, that's great news. I mean, frankly, when we have these kind of input costs, the scariest thing is, well, what happens if I don't produce a crop?
2: Yep. And, and not every year have we had the ability to lock in uh, coverage that meets or exceeds our input costs. So uh, these high prices, although they do give us uh, a little bit more risk in the market, uh, they, they do offer us some protection there uh, that we can lock in and make sure that we are covering those input costs at these really, really high prices.
1: Great point. And I would offer this. So right now, as we're starting to price in our, our spring prices, about halfway through the month, you will have a very good idea where that price is going to be. And we will be able to lock in those high guarantees mid-February through March 15th for most of you, somewhat earlier than that for a few of you out there that are in the Southern states. But really locking in those prices now at high levels of insurance gives you a ton of freedom. So you can still participate in the market, but you know you essentially have built in a floor. So I would say freedom to market grain is is a great reason to lock in those high guarantees right now. Freedom to keep innovating on the farm. I feel like in a year where we have very high input costs, it is natural to try to retreat back to what you know for sure, which is fair, but that does set you a year behind on innovation and on the farm, whether you're trying out new rotations, even new crops, a new fertilizer regimen, new varieties, all those things are probably set aside if you believe you have a tremendous amount of risk yet. But if we're setting guarantees that are at a high level, you can keep, uh, you can keep innovating on the farm. And then the last one, this is my favorite one, Chuck, it's just a freedom to relax a little bit. Um, if we know walking into the crop year that we have you know, $900 an acre in costs, but we're only covered up to 800, that's not a lot of freedom to relax. Um, we know that if things go against us, then we could lose $100 an acre. That's an awful year when it comes to farming. Um, we have the ability to flip that on its head, though, this year, and we could guarantee ourselves $100 over our costs. Now, that would make me relaxed. How about you, Chuck? Right.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That would make me, uh, that, that would allow me to sleep a little better at night, uh, allow me to go enjoy myself a little bit more and not have to worry about the, the fluctuations in the market, the weather, uh, all those things that are really out of our hands, um, the guarantees that we were able to lock in would give me the ability to relax a lot more than uh, than not. That's good. That's good. And I, I, hearing about your previous
1: week, Chuck, Chuck has three young kids. That's right. Um, Chuck needs a little relaxing every once in a while. <laughs> so. You're exactly right. <laughs> But inevitably, Chuck, just to get back to this conversation, over the next six weeks, which is about what we have between now and and, uh, March 15th, again, for most of you, there's going to be two different types of farmer-agent interactions. And you you can add in a third if you want, but I really see these conversations going one of two ways. The first being, Mr. Farmer, you have already spent so much money on input costs. Let's see how we can save you some money on crop insurance. Uh, that's that's number one.
2: Uh, yeah, that, that one can be a tough one. Uh, you know, producers have they've they've been looking at the input costs and, and you know, frankly, crop insurance is an input cost to them, right? Uh, right? So the premium dollars that they're spending is is part of that input cost that they are putting into the crop. Uh, however, it's one of those things that guarantees them some protection, and and not many other inputs can do that. And so there will be those conversations where producers say, I need to save some money here. Uh, and, and I really caution against looking at crop insurance as a way to save money. Uh, that, that doesn't seem to uh, bode well in years specific to this one. Right, and, it, and I do think it is tough to, to give farmers and
1: agents some credit out there. It is tough because crop insurance is often the last conversation that we have. It's the last dollars that we're spending And we already stretched ourselves in the three conversations before this. And so now when we get to crop insurance, it's kind of like, all right, if I'm going to save money, this has got to be the one. But as Jock mentioned, that not, not always is a great idea.
2: Yeah. And, uh, and I was at a producer meeting here, here this winter, and then had some really good discussions with some producers with one of my agents. And it kind of floored me that crop insurance is not the most exciting topic for producers to talk about. (laughs) You know, I, you and I, Ryan, we, we, we enjoy it. We, we like to even record podcasts about it, right? Um, but for a producer, crop insurance isn't the most sexy thing to be thinking about and uh, not the most exciting thing to be thinking about how they can be successful on their farm. They're looking at innovation ideas and different, different micronutrients and things that can help out their operation right. that really jazz a lot of producers. Crop insurance is not one of those. So right. us being the trusted advisor out there is really important in years like this. Uh, to be able to remind them that even though this isn't the most exciting topic, it's probably the most important for your operation. Yep,
1: absolutely. You're spot on, Chuck. And so there will be a second type of conversation. I think this is the one that I'm hoping farmers and agents have, which is that, Mr. Farmer, you have already spent so much on these input costs. Let's make sure you're still going to make money with these high input costs. We're, we're not here to save you money. We're here to make sure that you have your risks covered. And in a year like 2022, yes, we can get to guarantees that are above our input costs. And I would ask between those two conversations, who is going to have the freedom? The freedom to market, the freedom to innovate, the freedom to relax once they're done with that conversation?
2: That would be number two there, Ryan. Number two. Those, those that are looking at Making sure that they have all their bases covered, all their input costs covered in uh, and, and a way for them to lean back in their chair, kick up their feet and not have to worry about uh, all those things that can go against them. Right.
1: And so we'll talk about a few options here, but I'm hoping if for the farmers that are listening out there, the question I'm hoping you're asking your agent, along with how much does this cost me, is how much is this covering me for in terms of guaranteed dollars? That should be the first number. And then the second number, obviously, is the premium associated with it. I think that those are the top two questions we need to know. And don't ignore one uh, without the other there. So, Chuck, give us a few options on how we're going to cover these high input costs.
2: Yep. So, first of all, um, and, and this is the most popular plan out there within the crop insurance industry, but in a year like this with prices being high the most important piece in my eyes is to be sure that we have a revenue protection policy in force Uh, revenue protection not only covers us when price drops but it also allows us to increase our guarantees if the prices do continue to rise Uh, so you know we can look into our crystal ball and uh, we've done that before even on this podcast and been wrong Um, (laughs) and so you never know what's going to happen in the future so making sure that you have the protection for downward and upward movement in the market uh, is a really important piece and the revenue protection policy allows for that
1: yeah just a quick aside on that he mentioned the crystal ball i i don't know for certain what our predictions were from last year's conversation at this time but i'm pretty sure we had 458 corn we had 1187 beans i'm guessing i would have predicted it to go down and if I'm not mistaken, I believe Chalk, you said it was the prices were going to be steady or go higher, and so I have to give you the gold star on that one.
2: That is my recollection as well. But now, my man, my my curiosity has peaked and I'm going to have to go back and re-listen to that podcast for a year. <laughs> yes, ago. right on. So uh,
1: Chalk mentioned that revenue protection policy. That is the basis of which we need to build upon our crop insurance uh, insurance package. And so we do prefer revenue protection because it is going to protect us against price movements versus yield. And we've probably heard of RPHPE out there. Uh, if you haven't before, RPHPE is a harvest price exclusion. I'll just be weary of that particular product. That does not bode well in a year where we have significantly higher prices in the fall. But if you need more information on that, I'm sure your, your crop insurance agents can help you out with that. So in addition to those RP policies, though, we do have other options to increase our guarantees even higher. Um, And some of those endorsements have been around for a little bit, SCO being one of them. We just did a podcast a couple of uh, several weeks ago on SCO and ECO, and both of those are add-on buy-up options that are federally subsidized. But both of those have one flaw to them, which is that they are county-based. They are not based solely on our own individual experiences in terms of yield. They use the same prices as we do for RP policies, but they look at the county to see if the yield was up or down. Chalk, some quick thoughts on using SCO or ECO to increase our our total guarantees.
2: In areas that I cover, county-based policies aren't always the most exciting policies uh, because we. Habitually, we've had more spot losses in other parts of the country. And so really the, the county idea is not one that's widely accepted, which is also an exciting piece and plug for our plus products. Uh, so SCO plus and ECO plus allow us to buy back individual optional unit coverage in, in that exact same band that SCO and ECO falls in. And so I'm excited about the opportunity to, to be able to analyze SCO, SCO plus ECO and ECO Plus and how they mix into our underlying multi peril policy to see what kind of guarantees we can get out there and how we can best protect ourselves.
1: Oh, excellent, excellent stuff there, Chuck. So I would just add to kind of put a bow on that is, yes, we have RP policies and we can go up to 85% with them. We have SCO and ECO. We can go up to 86 with SCO, up to 95 with ECO. Both of those products are based on the county, but what Chalk mentioned is we have a private product options for ECO and SCO that actually help turn those county policies into an individual layer of coverage, which is important because if we're concerned about our input costs, we wanna make sure that we have those input costs covered on our own policy and not dependent just on the county. So it makes those dollars guaranteed dollars bankable versus a county plan, only somewhat bankable, uh depending on where you're at in the country.
2: Bankable. I I like it. (laughs) (laughs) Give me some more options, Chuck. What else can we add to our to our options here? Yep. Yep. So one one of the probably easiest ways to to look at it too, Ryan, is just simply increasing your multi parallel level. Uh you know, a lot of areas that you cover, you're already producers up there already buying 80 and 85% coverage levels. You know, down here, we're, we're 75, 70, maybe between 70 and 80, I would say. Uh, and so there is an option to increase your coverage level uh, by looking at uh, going up to an 80 or an 85 percent level. The problem with that is that your subsidy goes down the higher coverage level you purchase. And so you're going to be paying more dollars per dollar of coverage from the premium side as a producer just because the subsidy is going down and there's more risk in that policy. And so, looking at some of these SCO and ECO options may be good uh, because the subsidy is rather high for both those policies. And so, you're able to capture that higher subsidy, and then maybe even add in that individual coverage, and guarantee yourself more dollars of coverage uh, than what you could otherwise by just simply moving up levels. And this is why I love
1: having chalk on with me because he slows me down a little bit before I miss something. But I think <laughs> I think something that's important here is that you are likely, uh, hopefully, going to have a conversation with your agent that involves SCO this year. And, and the reason being is because uh, SCO is tied in with your FSA elections, meaning that if I chose ARC or PLC at FSA, uh, that does impact whether I can get SCO or not. In the past, it was, it was an ARC county or bust type of situation for most, uh, most crops, and so if we had our county, we couldn't even buy SEO. Well, now neither one of those programs look likely to pay. And so SCO is definitely on the table. The appeal of SCO to what Chalk was mentioning is it's subsidized highly and it's on a county plan. So SCO takes you up to 86% in a very cheap way versus going up to 85% on my own individual policy. So as an example, if it costs me $8 at 75% just by itself, to get to 85, it might cost me an extra 22 bucks, might cost me up to 30 bucks an acre. If I were to go from 75 to 86 with SCO, it might only cost me another seven, right? Mm -hmm. It's much cheaper way to get up to 86% coverage versus doing it on our own policy.
2: Yep. Yep. That's exactly right. And in, in conversations I've been having, too, uh, it seems like a lot of agents are saying, well, you know, looking at your FSA elections, may as well go with ARC. And the reason why is and you have yield coverage as well as price protection, PLC is not going to pay. And if it does, we're in, we're in a world of hurt. But in my opinion, if, if either one of those two programs pay, we're in a world of hurt. The reason being is how ARC utilizes that 370 price for corn, that reference price. And, and I don't really want to get into all this. <laughs> uh too deep so no you're good i i think the point is is that our county isn't likely to pay right exactly exactly so if either one are not likely to pay rather than say well let's just sign up for the free glass of water uh maybe we ought to look at that that uh that happy hour beer of seo spend a little That's money right. but actually get some true coverage for what the year is given us here yes
1: and if you want an expanded a uh, conversation on SCO and the ARC and PLC elections. We did do a podcast on that recently as well. And yes, we talked about a $2, a uh, $5 beer for two bucks is what SCO is. So <laughs> Chuck, are there a couple of more options? So we have the uh, RP policy. We can go up on an MPCI level. We could add SCO and ECO. And we even talked about some private products that so we have to go with it. Are there still more options that we can use to increase our coverage in 2022?
2: Yep, there are, there are. So uh, we still have RAMP, the, our private product, where you can add additional, additional revenue dollars to your multi-apparel. So RAMP does give you more flexibility than what SEO Plus and ECO Plus does. Um, and it's still an option. So it can, it can be a viable play for some producers out there who are looking to add additional coverage dollars there.
0: Yeah,
1: that's great. And I will just say, for those of you familiar with the with the private product options that FMH has had in the past, Ramp has been around for some time. These plus product options that go with SEO and ECO, those are much newer. Um, and so we're not here to say that one of them is necessarily better than the other. They have their pluses and minuses, but that's where talk to your local rep or get in touch with your agent to, to figure out which one might be best for you. Now, lastly, I have on here chalk uh, hail and wind options. Talk to me a little bit about that. I know it it blows and it hails a little bit in Kansas.
2: It does. It does. Yes, uh, certainly it does. We we had a major windstorm here uh, last month, and I'm really glad that we didn't have crops out in the field. Aside from our wheat, we did experience some issues with our wheat crop uh, getting blown out. But if we would have had corn out there, ew, it would not have been pretty. So. Hail and wind are still viable options, and cer- certainly things that we have to be wary of and, and make sure we are protecting against those perils. You know the, the they only cover the two two perils, and so uh, a hail policy. Although we do have some some additional coverages within our hail policy, it, it you still have to have hail for it to pay, uh, and wind is the same way. And so if you are ultra concerned about those two perils, by all means, there there are very good options to be able to add additional coverage your crop insurance mix there so something that we always get questions on and get to talk about every year uh, because they are major perils that can happen and happen in a blink of an eye yep
1: i would point out though one very important thing you said there chalk which is that unlike all of the other previous options hail and wind are not multiple peril policies they are what we call named single peril Single peril, peril. single peril, name peril. (laughs) Uh, We can call it whatever we want now, right? Um, But hail and wind options are limited to basically uh, a narrow range of of coverages, and so those, as far as when you just heard the word bankable, those are not necessarily bankable because they require a certain type of loss. And we're going to talk about options here with ECO in particular that go up to 95%. And if you're already buying a policy that essentially gets you up to 95%, I would ask you do you still need those types of perils covered? If you have all of the perils covered up to 95%. Even lesser levels than that, you know, can we sustain some level of loss and are we comfortable with a 15% deductible at 85% uh, we may not need hail and wind, is what we're getting at, but there are certainly parts of the country. I have an agent in particular in further west where buying hail is almost cheaper than MPCI, and it hails so often that it's uh, well worth it. Well, well worth to have the hail.
2: Yep. So, yep, absolutely, they still have their place, but uh, we we do need to start asking ourselves the questions of you know how how much hail do we need to have? You know, if we have a 5% deductible, if we're buying ECO at a 95% level, you know, how, how much do we need? And, and I think that's a very valid question to be asking ourselves as we go into the, the consideration season here. Yes,
1: absolutely. So I wanted to give a, a quick example. We've kind of been building up to this where we have all these options of different levels and things, but when we're talking about input costs versus guarantees, I just wanted to dig in a little bit further and give a a quick example. So Chalk, I've got this table pulled up in front of us and that table is for somebody that has a 210 bushel approved APH. And you can see that we have the guarantees that they would have at 75, 80, and 85% level. Now I used a 565 price when I built this one. We're a dime higher than that now. But as I'm looking at this, I have my input costs in there at $925. Some people might be thinking $925 for corn, are you insane? And in some parts of the country, you're right, that would be insane. Um, however, I just look, read an article not long ago from FarmDoc at University of Illinois that essentially projected the average input cost to be over $1,000 on corn in the, in the state Increase. of Illinois. So, so keep this in mind that it does, uh, does vary from place to place big time as to what actual input costs are. But in this example, I use $925. And at a 75% level policy chalk, what are the producers in this example
2: actually guaranteed in terms of dollars? Yep, so the guarantee there comes in at just under $890 an acre. Uh, and so we are not covering our input costs $925 an acre there. Right. And so right
1: on a farm quote or a quick quote, something that you would get from from your agent, they should be able to tell you very quickly how many dollars are guaranteed at each of these levels. And so as I look at that, uh, I actually see that we're falling short of our input costs by $35.13. So our... Best case scenario in a set of bad circumstances is that we're still going to lose 35 bucks an acre.
2: Are you comfortable with something like that, Chalk? That'd be a tough pill to swallow. I would like to look at other options to see maybe what we could do uh, <laughs> to cover that additional $35. This feels, this feels like Shark Tank. Like This is your first are,
1: uh, offer, <laughs> Chalk
2: yeah yeah let's move on down the line here let's see who else is
1: off <laughs> that offer wasn't so great so let's see what else we can we can get here as we're moving down the line here uh, with our different options i just want to point out that we're going to talk about premiums but our most i think important number is uh, are we above or below our costs and so i go to 80 percent now chalk and i see my guarantee is 949 dollars which also, in my example, is increasing our input costs. I want to account for the fact that we're paying more premium for that 80% policy. But now I see a positive margin of $18.21. Sounds a little better, right, Chalk? Yep. Yep. Much better. Much better. I'm 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 liking the black. I'm not liking the red. Liking the black. So here's where I would offer up maybe an idea. 2022, there is a lot of optimism going into this year because we have high prices yes we have high inputs as well but the high prices always make farmers happy that's there's no doubt about that my question would be is if at the beginning of the year i told you that if things went you know not so great you could make 18 dollars an acre you would be okay with that right chalk at least i'd be able to get to next year yep at least you'd be able to get to next year But I would also say that's not what you were hoping for at all, was was it, Chuck?
2: No, no. My goals are set a little higher than that.
1: Right. Well, we have options that can take us well over $100 over our input costs. And those those come with price tags too. But even with the increase in premium, we can guarantee ourselves in this example, I'm going to skip all the way to the end of this table and we can kind of swing back and talk about some of those in the middle. But if you bought an 85% RP policy with ECO at 95% and you added in the plus products, the total expected margin now is $130 over your input cost. And that's even with the input costs uh, increasing to account for the extra premium. And so now, Chalk, I ask you, what if I told you your worst case scenario in a bad year was $130 over your, your costs? Sounds a lot better. Right. sounds a lot better. Do you think you could market better? Do you think you could innovate better? Do you think you could relax a little bit more with that kind of number? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. And so in 2022, my idea is just that it's not just about risk management in 2022. It's also about profit management because the different options we have in front of us, Chuck, there's only a couple that are not guaranteeing us money over our input costs. And so let's just talk about some of these in the middle because I think SCO and SCO plus would be some options that would make a lot of sense for a larger population. Yep. I would mention just to full disclosure, the total premium on that 85% RP package with ECO and ECO plus, $65 an acre, almost 66.
2: Yep. And that's where I think, Ryan, looking at the middle section here on this table uh, and looking at some of the SCO, SCO plus options, are going to be a lot more attractive for producers because at the end of the day although yes we can guarantee ourselves 130 dollars an acre in this example there's a happy medium there between cost of premium and uh and, and how much margin we can we can expect to lock in mm-hmm. um and and so i'm i'm super excited about these sco and seo plus policies as well as the eco and eco plus because it, it has that middle ground to be able to lock in good dollars uh, but also not cost us an arm and a leg yeah, so give me some numbers on what you're looking there. Uh, and yeah. looking at there, Chuck. So I'm I'm looking at a 75% policy. So staying at that 75% range uh, with our multi parallel but adding an SCO and SCO plus gives us one thousand twenty dollars of guarantee, and that that would give us a margin of seventy six dollars an acre. So we'd be able to lock in seventy six dollar profit by utilizing those two products. What I like about that is it did not force us to go up to an 80% policy, meaning that we are still able to capture good subsidy at that 75% level. And, and I'm, I'm really excited about those options that we have down here in, in the Southern and in Western Corn Belt area. No, that's,
1: that's really great stuff. I would encourage everybody to take a hard look at these options. And I will just disclose again, this is one area, this is actually Dallas County, Iowa, using a 210 bushel APH. Obviously, these numbers are going to change quite a bit as we move out of the out of Iowa or even in different parts of Iowa and then into different states. But the point is going to be the same, which is that we're going to have the opportunity to cover levels at or above our input costs pretty easily in two thousand and twenty two. All right, little change of gear here, chalk. little less on strategies. Give us some updates on MPCI in general. Um, we'll just call this our quick hitters section. Go ahead and hit us with the first one here.
2: Sure, sure. Uh, first quick hitter, we're talking enterprise units. Uh, we continue to expand our offerings with enterprise units. And so um, in 2022, we have a new enterprise unit type called ET. That's enterprise by type uh, for a crop. Um, that goes along with our EC, which is enterprise by cropping practice. That's our double crop beans. And uh, goes along with our EI, which is our enterprise by irrigation practice. So a ton of different options out there with enterprise units. Make sure we're handling those appropriately and explaining those appropriately because they can play together or not. And so that that adds some complexity, but also some flexibility for for the policy. What what happened to EP, Chuck? Oh yeah, so EP changed to EI. Um, there you go. And so we we love acronyms. We like to change them. <laughs> um, all sorts of good stuff there. So. Know your new acronyms uh, going into the 2022 sales season. I think the
1: point here is there are more options, not fewer. They're not taking things away, and they're trying to allow for enterprise units on different uh, different types of
2: situations. So, yep, yep. Another quick hitter, Ryan, is our uh, our cover crop on prevent plant acres. Uh, so we had in the past. Uh, let's go back. I think now three years. Uh, if you were to Hay, graze, or cut for silage a cover crop that was planted on prevent plant acres. Your prevent plant payment was reduced. The last two years, we have had a manager bulletin come out saying that that did not apply for the current crop year, and now that is going into permanent law. Where on prevent plant acres, you can plant a cover crop, and you can go out there and you can hay them, you can graze them, you can cut them for silage, haylage, or baleage, and that will not impact your prevent plant payment. The one thing you cannot do is harvest that for grain or seed. So do not harvest a cover crop planted on prevent plant acres for grain or seed, but, uh, there's no date anymore or making sure that you have to wait past November 1st or whatever date that they may have came out with. You can go ahead and handle that cover crop, however you like, as long as you don't harvest it for grain or seed. Correct. And, and, uh,
1: I would add to this without trying to go down a rabbit hole. There was also some uh, lenience built in where we can rent ground out after a prevent plant situation. And so if you're not haying it or grazing it, but you want a neighbor to do so, you can rent your ground out to do that. And that is perfectly OK. Uh, but the same rules uh, are in place as far as you cannot harvest anything for grain.
2: That's right. That's right. Whether it's you or your neighbor that you're entered it out, it, don't don't allow them to harvest that either. Correct. So while we're on the same vein of cover crops, um, corn is not a cover crop. Never was. Never was. But news (laughs) here, corn is uh, not a cover crop. We're hitting that hard again at our update meetings, making sure everybody is duly aware that corn is not a cover crop. And speaking of cover crops, Ryan, have you heard anything on the uh, cover crop? uh, Let's see. It was a pandemic cover crop program. PCCP.
1: Yes. So rumblings, I would say rumblings, maybe um, more than just rumblings, but we haven't seen anything official yet. But that program previously would uh, incentivize or uh, make your premium on crop insurance cheaper by $5 an acre for every acre that you had planted a cover crop on in the fall of 2020. And now, if you planted a cover crop in fall of 21, we believe you will we believe, you will have that same $5 incentive uh, for 2022. So I'm not sure if they're going to call that the Pandemic Cover Crop Program again, or if it's an extension, or if they're just renaming it, but we do hear that there is probably going to be another $5 there. And that would be in addition to any of those state programs um, that are already in place in Iowa, Illinois, and parts of Indiana.
2: Yep. Yep, that's right. That's right. And remember, you must plant a spring crop on those cover crop acres to be eligible for for that uh, premium subsidy, additional premium subsidy. But um, good program there. I'm looking forward to seeing what what that what that brings. So awesome. Anything else uh, update wise, Chalk? Before we go into some predictions here, one thing I think that we do need to be aware of out there is uh, a new micro farm policy. Uh, and it's actually not really a new policy. It's it's an extension of the whole farm revenue protection policy that's been offered out there in the in the industry. Um, micro farm is for small producers who have under a hundred thousand dollars of of gross revenue in a year. So if if you have anybody out there that's looking for additional protection on a small maybe vegetable operation, if they have under a hundred thousand dollars of gross revenue in a year, they do qualify for a micro farm policy. A lot of intricacies there. Uh, there are some more flexibilities in what the whole farm offers, but I uh, just want everybody to be aware that it is it is out there. It is available uh, going into the twenty twenty two sales season. Awesome. All right, Chalk. Few
1: hot seat questions. I'll I'll uh, I'll chime in with my own, but I'm going to quiz you first. So let's do it. Let's just start off with we we talked a lot about prices already. Where do we feel like things are headed? Um, once we
2: get to harvest time. So this is a crystal ball, right? And, mm-hmm. and so we're, we're looking ahead again. I don't wanna make the same prediction again, but uh, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of external things that are affecting the, the markets out there, outside of even, even farming. You know, we've, we've got interest rates, we've got inflation, we've got a lot of things going on uh, that are affecting the overall market. And I think that uh, the prices are gonna remain about where they're at. I don't think we're gonna see major price drops uh, this year, um, I think that we're going to remain at these pretty high levels uh, going into the 2023 year as well. Gotcha. No, and I, I think
1: to your point, you know, we think of prices as being a combination of supply and demand, right? Well, supply hasn't seemed to matter too much <laughs> because no. we've grown good crops uh, in 21, especially, and 2020 wasn't too bad either. So we've grown good crops, but our prices are increasing. And I think it's more because of the demand side of things, which when you're talking about demand, I think that really, you know, that brings in all those world issues, whether that's supply chain or, you know, I don't want to go down that road. But whatever China wants to do or what has happening in Russia, all those things all of a sudden have a bigger impact on demand. Um, And that's what's been driving prices recently. So. Okay. Chalk, um, give me, you know, obviously input costs are impacting our corn acres more than anything else. Do you have a prediction on where acres are moving? Are they staying the same? Are we, are we planting more beans in your country? Are we planting more cotton or yeah. sorghum? Or tell me, what are you thinking?
2: Yeah, I think uh, I think we're gonna we're, we're gonna still hit our corn acres, right? I mean, this country this country lives on corn, and so we have to have corn to be able to make things tick. I think that the market's going to to bid for those. Uh, so if if we are going into planting season and we aren't seeing corn acres going in like we thought we would, I, I think we'll, we'll it'll correct itself. However, I do think we're going to see an increase in bean acres. I do think that we're going to see an increase in cotton acres down my way. We've got some great prices for cotton, and uh, I think that we're also going to see uh, an increase in grain sorghum. Uh, Milo last year was a was kind of a sleeper crop. Uh, we had really good yields. We had really good prices. You know, I think that Milo was one of those things that at the end of the year you pencil it down and you say, "Wow, that that worked out well." Let's let's roll the dice again this year in 2022 and see if we can if we can hit another home run with our with our grain sorghum right now i'm i'm with you on that i think in a
1: year like 22 we always seem to find a handful of more acres out there and so it's uh to me i would just predict a, a little bit more of everything if if there is a possibility for that i certainly have heard of a few folks trying to flip more acres to soybeans in the in the midwest here but I think, for the large part, a large majority of farmers stay with their own their their same rotations. And if they are moving acres, it's it's not every one of them. You know, it's only ten percent of their acres that are going to something different than than what they expected. There's not a huge uh, though I have heard anecdotal stories of people switching to all beans, I just don't see that being a very common practice. so
2: no, no. and And crop rotation for producers is is extremely important. And uh, specifically in areas like where I'm at, uh, getting outside of a rotation, it takes years to get back into that rotation. And so producers aren't as quick to uh, flip rotation as what maybe we would think they are. Right. All right, Chuck, give me one big, bold prediction of the year. Bold prediction of the year. I'm going to say I think Kansas is going to stay on their streak of uh, missing a lot of hailstorms and missing a lot of tornado activity that's me knocking on wood i don't know if you can hear that through the podcast yes just Um, a little bit but yeah it uh i think we're the weather patterns have changed where i live and i'm excited about that that's been a fun thing to experience Uh, however uh, i think that it will come to an end someday just not in 2022. Gotcha. gotcha now if we listen back to this in 2023, and I was wrong, I'm gonna have a lot of egg on my face.
1: <laughs> well, I guess my bold prediction of the year, I, well, I didn't even answer the, the question on prices, but I think my answer is probably gonna be the same every year, because I am, as I think I said last year, paid to be a pessimist. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's what I'm going to go with here again, um, especially since we're, we're rallying into the month of February. It just feels like there's a lot of room underneath us to fall. Um, and so if I had to place a guess right now, I'm I'm guessing that prices may not be quite as high at harvest time. And obviously, weather's gonna drive that. And we talked about the demand side of things, who knows? But um, but I, I don't want to be on the wrong side of that. I would be happy to be wrong about that one. How about that? Yeah. So yep. Um, my bold prediction of the year is that. We're going to write more SCO acres than we ever have before and by a long, long shot. SEO is going to be a very hot topic. It is a very cheap way to get more coverage. And I think uh, without ARC or PLC considerations, kind of muddying the waters there, we're going to write a lot of SEO in
2: 2022. I think you could be right. I like your prediction.
1: <laughs> awesome. Okay. One last note here. Uh, The PACE program, P-A-C-E, PACE, that is the Post Application Coverage Endorsement. We just did a bonus episode on PACE with Ken Ripley, and so that one will be coming out. Actually, it might even be coming out before this episode, but keep an eye out for that one if you happen to be in a PACE area. Outside of that, just a few resources. Um, If you're a farmer, your number one resource is obviously your crop insurance agent. If you're an agent, your number one resource is going to be your FMH sales rep. Outside of that, there's all sorts of information on all these programs on RMA's website. You can just Google RMA USDA. um, But if you want to go right to the source, talk to your agent, talk to your rep, and we'll
2: be able to give you a rundown. Chuck, last word before we wrap this up. I'm looking forward to a very successful 2022. Uh, season here uh, a lot to be considered uh, hopefully this podcast has given you some different things to think about and uh, some ways that we can all be successful in in this venture of crop insurance and in production agriculture
1: perfect i love that chalk so i will leave it there thank you for making it to the end of this episode uh, it was a little bit longer so we appreciate you sticking with us if you do like these episodes be sure to subscribe so that you can get alerted every time we drop a new one But with that, this is the FMH InsureCast,
0: and thank you again for joining us. You've been listening to FMH InsureCast. We appreciate you joining us today and would like to hear from you. If you have questions about today's topic or an idea to share for an upcoming podcast, you can contact us at fmhpodcast at fmh.com. Thanks for listening. This podcast is intended for information purposes only. See policy provisions, terms and conditions for details. Products underwritten by Farmers Mutual Hail Insurance Company of Iowa and its affiliates, West Des Moines, Iowa. Farmers Mutual Hail is an equal opportunity provider.